Hi, and welcome to the first installment of my podcast, Cathedral Made of People. Now, this podcast is based on my blog by the same title. But please remember, I also have a book titled Cathedral Made of People. Although it shares the same title, it is very different than the blog or the podcast. See, it compares the church of the New Testament to the church today. It shows how far we have strayed from the model that Christ and his disciples set for us and what we need to do to get back there. My book is available on Amazon in both electronic and paperback formats and will be available on Audible coming soon. Now let's dive right into our first subject, putting on all of God's armor. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read the story of David killing Goliath. But I want to look specifically at verses 38 through 40. They say, Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't wear these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in a shepherd bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. There were a couple of problems with Saul's armor. First, it was the wrong armor. Saul's armor was custom made for Saul, a man who stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Secondly, David didn't know how to put on the armor. David was just a shepherd boy. He didn't have any idea how to put on armor. You know, I've read several commentaries on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and I've heard many different pastors preach on it, but I've never heard anyone talk about where to get the armor from. So today, let's look at the importance of wearing the right armor and how to put it on. In Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, the Bible tells us to put on all of God's armor. Let's look at those first four verses. Starting in verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. In these first four verses, the Apostle Paul tells us twice to put on all of God's armor. He doesn't say to put on some of it or just to put on what feels good. He emphasizes all. So this is the first thing we need to understand. You see, the church today feels entitled. We think we can pick and choose what we want to believe and what we want to obey. If we are to be effective for Christ, we must completely surrender to him. We have to quit picking and choosing and start obeying. I realize in our privileged and entitled society, this isn't a popular statement, but it is the truth. Matthew 4.4 says, but Jesus told him, no, the scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did you get that? Every word. 
That means we can't pick and choose. We can't decide which parts we want to believe. We must believe the entire Bible and live by it, every word. So, once we have surrendered ourselves to His will and realized that putting on all of God's armor is a prerequisite, the next question is, where do I go to get it? Let's see what Paul tells us in verse 14. He says, stand your ground, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So in this verse, he first tells us to stand our ground. We can't waver. We can't be wishy-washy. We must stand firm. And in order to stand firm, we have to know what it says. All of it. Then he gives us the first two pieces of armor. First, he says, put on the belt of truth. In armor, the belt wasn't just there to hold up your pants or to hang your cell phone on. It was there to protect your gut. It was usually made of thick leather and covered your stomach and bowels. And in God's armor, your gut is covered by the belt of truth. Have you ever had that gut feeling that something was wrong? We know the truth in our gut. So where does the belt of truth come from? John 17, 17 says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And in Psalm 119, 160, it says, The very essence of your word is truth. All your just regulations will stand firm. So clearly, the belt of truth comes from reading and knowing God's word. Because his word is truth. Notice it doesn't say his word teaches truth or that his word tells the truth. It says his word is truth. The word of God is, in its very nature, truth itself. It embodies truth. It doesn't merely speak it. The second part of verse 14 says to put on the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness. So we are to have God's righteousness covering and protecting our hearts. This is extremely important in every aspect of the Christian life. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The prophet Malachi tells men twice to guard our hearts to stay loyal to our wives. And in Philippians 4.7 it says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So this body armor of righteousness is obviously important. His righteousness guards our hearts, which keeps us loyal and determines the course of our lives. So without it, we are lost. But where do we get it? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So all scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. So many Christians believe that once they accept Christ, they're righteous. This can't be further from the truth. We need to be trained in righteousness. And that training comes from reading, memorizing, meditating on, studying, and living the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
This takes us to verse 15, which says, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news or gospel, so that you will be fully prepared. So, the next thing is to cover our feet. Our feet do the work. They take us where God sends us. This is pretty clear cut. It says to cover our feet with the peace that comes from the good news or the peace that comes from the gospel. We are to go in peace, but be ready for war. And to prepare for going in peace, we must know the gospel. We have to be well versed in the good news that we are taking. In 1 Peter 3.15, the apostle Peter tells us, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So how can we always be ready to give an answer? We have to know the gospel. We have to know the word of God. Are we seeing a trend here? So far, we've learned that in order to have the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, and the shoes of peace, we have to know what the word of God says. So the next verse goes on to say, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. The devil is constantly shooting flaming arrows at us, so we had better have a shield to stop them. Now sometimes when we think of a shield, we think of a small shield that straps to the soldier's arm, but that shield is to defend yourself against the strike of a sword. The shield that stops arrows, especially flaming ones, is a large shield that you can crouch down behind and it covers your whole body. This shield is the shield of faith. Now faith is something we need to talk about because faith is paramount in the Christian life. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:6 that it's impossible to please God without faith. But many in the church today have started worshiping the faith itself instead of the one we're to have faith in. As my wife often says, Faith does not move mountains. God moves mountains, but we must have faith that he can do it. Quite frankly, God can move those mountains whether we have faith or not. But to ward off the fiery arrows of Satan, God tells us to use the shield of faith. So, where does the shield come from? I thought you'd never ask. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. Okay. So faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And where do we hear the word of Christ? The gospel, the good news, the Bible. So to have the shield of faith, we must hide the word of Christ in our hearts. We must crouch down behind our faith and trust God to protect us from those fiery darts. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wing, but you wouldn't let me. God wants to protect us under his wing, just like a chicken protects her chicks. The only way we can let him is to have a relationship with him and to have true faith that he will be there. Verse 17 goes on to say, Put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This verse gives two more. The first one is to put on salvation as our helmet. Without the helmet of salvation, 
The rest is completely useless. Without salvation, all the faith in the world won't help you. There are more verses on salvation than I can list, but here's a few. Hebrews 2.3 says, So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? 2 Samuel 22.47 says, The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May God, the rock of my salvation, be exalted. Psalm 18.46 says, The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Jonah 2.9 says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with song of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord. When John the baptizer's father, Zechariah, prophesied over him, he said in Luke 1, 76-78, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of the Lord's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. As with every other piece of the armor, we cannot get salvation without the Word of God. In Romans 10.14, we read, But how can they call upon Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Also in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.21 it says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So the helmet of salvation comes from the preaching of the word. Again, I can't stress enough the importance of salvation. Notice it is the helmet. It is the top thing, the most important. It protects our head. Without the helmet of salvation, the rest of the armor doesn't matter. Acts 4, 11 through 12 says, For Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture, where it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. In today's world, I constantly hear people say, it doesn't matter what you believe in, as long as you believe in something. That is nothing more than a lie from the devil. It is exactly what Satan wants us to believe. But the Bible makes it perfectly clear that salvation is only through Jesus the Christ. The next piece in the second half of verse 17 is the sword of the Spirit. And he gives this one away because he says, which is the word of God? Pretty cut and dried, right? Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Our weapon is the word of God. 
everything listed up to this point has been defensive. It is all for protection, and it all comes from the Word of God. But our weapon is the Word itself. Have you ever watched one of those swashbuckler movies where the guy picks up a sword but has no idea what he's doing? It never ends well, does it? So again, we have to be well-versed in our weapon. It has to become an extension of our arm. We have to become one with it. But this verse doesn't end with, the word of God is a sword. It goes on to say, it divides the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows, and exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God cuts deep. It exposes who we really are. It strips away any pretenses. Sadly, there are many phonies in the church today, people that make it all about them. They constantly talk about the gifts they have and the miracles they performed. If they truly got into the word, it would divide their soul and spirit. It would expose their innermost thoughts and desires. And then and only then could they be used. So to recap, we're to put on all of God's armor, the belt of truth, which comes from the word of God, the body armor of righteousness, which comes from the word of God, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which comes from the word of God, and the helmet of salvation, which comes from the word of God. And of course, pick up your sword, which is the word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Verses 18 through 20 go on to say, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So he says, pray in the spirit at all times. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers. Then he says to pray for him that God will give him the, the right words to say. And he ends it by saying, pray that I will keep speaking boldly. Paul started out this passage by telling us to put on all of God's armor which, as we have seen, means staying in the Word. Then he says to pray, and pray, and pray, and keep on praying. So the formula for protecting ourselves from Satan's fiery darts is to study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God, and then pray. Pray for each other. Pray for our spiritual leaders. Pray for ourselves, and please, pray for me. This passage is one of many examples that show us how Christianity is not about showing up for church every Sunday. It's not about having your quiet time every day. It's not about religion. If you study the New Testament, you will see that every time religion is mentioned, with the exception of one verse, it's mentioned in a negative light. Paul kept saying how he left the religion of his fathers to follow Christ. The people that Jesus had problems with were the religious people. The only time religion is mentioned in a positive light is in James 1.27, which says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
So what God sees as true religion is caring for widows and orphans and keeping yourself pure from the world. It's not about where you go to church or the organ or the stained glass windows. It's about a relationship with God. Relationships only work when you put work into them. If I spent one hour a week with my wife, our marriage wouldn't have lasted the first year. And yet so many people who call themselves Christians do just that with God. They give him one hour a week, if that. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants and deserves everything. And the only way we can cultivate that relationship is to spend time with him. Spend time studying and memorizing his word. Spend time talking to him and listening to him. I always say prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not about what you say to God. Listen to him. He's got stuff to say to you. So put on all of God's armor and be ready because the enemy is out there. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Thank you for joining me this week. Please remember to like, subscribe, click that uh, alert button. Uh, that'll all help me a lot. But also, if you feel led, please support this podcast with a small monthly donation. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar a month or a hundred dollars a month. It all helps sustain future episodes. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash T-A Pearson. That's spelled T-A-P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Thank you, and as always, have a blessed week.